Hello, hello. I'm Candace Eisner, and this week we're debunking five massage therapy myths. Welcome to Life Beyond the Massage Table, a podcast for massage therapists, or really anyone who works in health and wellness. I'm here to help you take a look at your business and practice in new ways, to think outside the box, and to shift gears from the same old stuff that isn't helping you build the life and the business that you really want. Let's get started. Hey everyone, happy Monday as usual, Uh, or you know, whatever day of the week it is when you're listening to this. Today I'm going to take a bit of a different stream from what I normally do on the podcast and I want to talk to you about some massage therapy myths. You know, the kind of stuff you see posted online or even talked about by fellow massage therapists, but it's really not supported by any sort of evidence or science or, you know, uh, facts. So before I dive right into the topic proper, let's mention a few things just to get it straight before I, you know, get going on this. So. First is that, of course, this kind of diverges from my normal business advice. You know, normally I'm talking about how to run your practice in a way that makes sense to you, that's, you know, kind of thinking outside of the box and, uh, you know, rethinking the ways that everybody else seems to do things and, uh, you know, how to build a happy practice, basically. That's why my newsletter and one of my websites is called Happy Little Biz, because that's really what I'm all about. But here's the thing. It does relate to your business and practice debunking these myths. The reality is that there's a heck of a lot of massage therapists and other healthcare providers out there that believes the, that these myths are true. And that's not good for your business and it's not good for your practice, right? Not only that, but your clients are going to end up getting confused about what massage therapy can really do because these myths are just so prevalent. So getting up to speed on the latest research, unlearning, and my fingers are in little finger quotes here, the things that were never true in the first place, And educating others is just a dang good idea (laughs) for the sake of your own business and for the sake of your profession on the whole, right? Anything that advances the massage therapy profession is a good thing. And second, I'm going to give you a little disclaimer. I think you guys know this, but obviously I am not the foremost expert on evidence-based massage therapy. Yes, I am a former RMT, and yes, I do have a science degree. So yeah, I do know a thing or two about research. I've conducted research and I've even published some research, but there are people out there with way more knowledge than me, trust me. So I do recommend you look these topics up yourself to get even more info. I'm just giving you an overview to start um, and things to think about. One website I can strongly recommend is Pain Science. That's painscience.com to read more about these topics. Um, Pain Science is run by a former massage therapist who left the profession in order to basically become a healthcare and science researcher. So that's what his whole website is all about, is just teaching people about massage therapy, what the science is behind it, what the research is behind it, what is shown to be effective treatments, what is less shown to be effective. And it's it's a really great resource. Um, he's also a Canadian. He's uh, from BC. And so I just recommend you just check out his website and uh, get to know his material because it, it's really good stuff. You can also count the reading as CEUs, just to give you a little hint there. And, you know, the third thing I'm going to say before I get rocking is all you non-massage therapists listening, you know, I bet there's lots of myths in your own profession. In fact, I was at my physiotherapist's office this morning and they had a pamphlet talking about the myths behind uh, pelvic floor exercises. So there you go. There are myths in in, uh, physiotherapy and there's probably myths in every single profession out there. So 
you might as well give this a listen. You might find it interesting as well. It'd be good to learn about your colleagues that uh, that give massage therapy and some of the things that you know you might have thought were true and actually aren't. And final point here. The point of this episode is to debunk the myths and help people understand that massage therapy is a safe treatment option. So don't feel bad. You know, if you thought some of these myths were true or you've been telling your clients they are, that's okay. You know, I was taught some of these things while I was in school. Um, I know my fellow massage therapists um, who went to school with me. When we were talking about this on Facebook over the weekend, we, we were all going, hey, wait, I was taught a lot of these things when I was in school. You know, it's it's just the way things were when you were in school or it's well-meaning professionals who just haven't been updated on the latest research, you know. But if we all came together and talked about what's actually true and known in the profession rather than, you know, the wrong information, that would be really helpful to everybody involved, not just your own individual business and your own individual practice, but massage therapy as a profession. All right. Let's get going with the myths. So myth number one is about massage therapy and pregnancy. So I've got two topics here to talk about. The first is that you should never massage a woman in the first trimester of pregnancy as it's going to cause a miscarriage, or at least it might. And the second myth is that massage therapy can induce labor. So let's tackle them one at a time. So the first one about miscarriage. First, there's zero. And I really do mean zero evidence that massage therapy can cause a miscarriage. I mean, just think about it for a moment. Unless the massage therapist is doing something really crazy, like, I don't know, beating on the patient's abdomen. And like, why would anybody even, why would you do that? Why would you want that? There's no more risk in getting a massage than there is in doing regular daily activities like going for a walk or doing a workout. You know, this myth really comes from being scared of being sued or being blamed for a miscarriage. So, for example, many therapists in the U.S. where the the culture of sort of law and uh, being sued is, is more than in Canada. You certainly hear more of lawsuits happening in the U.S. than in Canada. Um, but you'll find the massage therapist there will refuse to massage a woman in the first trimester because of their being scared of being sued or being scared of being blamed for a miscarriage. And you do also see that in Canada. Certainly back when I was in practice, I had a lot of women telling me that they had a really hard time finding someone to do prenatal massage, even though all RMTs in regulated provinces are trained to do it. But again, this is all based on fear and not reality. They're afraid that if the woman miscarriages soon after getting the massage, they're going to be blamed for it. And who wants that? Like, that would feel so awful. Even if you knew you couldn't have caused it, you would just like, I'd feel heartbroken if somebody called me and say, you know, I miscarried and it's your fault. So of course you don't, well, you want to avoid that. But here's the real truth. There's a general increased risk of miscarriage in the first trimester of pregnancy. You know, massages aside, Pretend massage didn't even exist, you know? This is according to WebMD. So this is where I've got the statistics. So if it's slightly off, you can blame them. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. But if it is slightly off, that's where the resource was. It's estimated to be somewhere between 10 and 20% of all pregnancies end in miscarriage. And most of those miscarriages happen between 10 and 12 weeks gestation. So if you've if you've never been pregnant or you don't really know a lot about pregnancy and you've kind of wondered why your friend, your best friend didn't announce their pregnancy until they were past 12 weeks, well, that's why, is because the risk of them miscarrying is, is much higher in the first trimester, in the first 12 weeks. 
So massage does not cause miscarriage. It doesn't. Can we please move on beyond this one so more women who are seeking prenatal massage care can get it? And can we educate the public about this so that they know massage is perfectly safe throughout a healthy pregnancy? That would be really great. And I know all the women out there who are going through pregnancy would really appreciate it. So what about this whole idea of massage therapy inducing labor? That's number two. Um, at least that's number two on the, the pregnancy and massage topic. So there's a lot of material online talking about pressure points for inducing labor. And you know, when I was practicing, I certainly thought that these were true. But there is no evidence that they actually work. So I read a report, like what, a week ago, I guess, on Cochrane's website, that's Cochrane.org, um, that says studies have been done and they showed there was insufficient evidence to show this technique actually works. So the pressure point or acupuncture, acupuncture or acupressure point technique for inducing labor doesn't actually work. Um, Cochrane, by the way, if you've never heard of it, it's a nonprofit NGO and they're dedicated to organizing medical research so people can make better decisions about their healthcare. So they're another really good resource to use when you're trying to look up um, current research or current um, information that is uh, coming from science and coming from uh, research um, in terms of uh, increasing your knowledge about healthcare in general. But uh, Back to this inducing labor topic, the CMTBC, that is the College of Massage Therapists of British Columbia, has actually banned the practice. So what do I mean by that? Well, since RMTs are not trained to medically induce labor, and by medically, I mean the way doctors and midwives would do it. Like if you were uh, way over in your pregnancy or there was some sort of risk to you and the baby and they were going to induce labor, that's what I mean, the way doctors and midwives would do it. So yeah. Massage therapists are not trained in this and they should not be offering it as a service and they should not be putting it in their advertising. So there you go. The CMTBC has actually said, do not put that you can induce labor, even if it's just with pressure points, you know, that's what you're saying you can do. Do not put that in your advertising. Do not say that you can do it. So since there's no evidence, you should stop talking about like it's actually true. And, you know, think about it. Massage therapists would be really rich from all the women at their doors at the end of pregnancy wanting to finally have the baby. And so can you please just massage my pressure points so I can be, I can finally go into labor and have this baby? Like, yeah, that would be great. But the reality is that it just doesn't work. There's, there's no evidence to say that it works. So let's move on from the pregnancy topic and talk about something else that's a big topic with massage and that's massage and lactic acid. Wow, so this is a hard topic to talk about because this myth is actually more prevalent than the massage therapy and pregnancy myths. You hear athletes talking about this stuff all the time and how they need to go for a massage to get the lactic acid out of their muscles, or you hear their coaches or athletic therapists or other people that they work with saying that. And you know, I am a, an amateur athlete. I, I, uh, I'm a runner and I do handstands and, and circus arts. Um, and I certainly hear these things at, at the gym or at other places I train. I totally hear people talking about this stuff. So there's a few topics to unpack here. The first thing is that lactic acid has absolutely nothing to do with post-exercise soreness. It's a myth that just will not die. The entire myth actually came about in the 1920s and it was based purely on a theory that kind of made sense at the time and it still does make sense from if you just read it. So if you exercise too long, you go into an anaerobic mode, that is a non-oxygen mode. 
And then the lactic acid is going to build up in your muscles and that's going to cause soreness. And just on reading that, you know, that sounds totally logical. No wonder people, you know, still believe that. But the myth was actually debunked in the, the late 60s or early 70s. I had a hard time finding the exact date of the paper. Um, some resources were telling me it was the late 60s. Some were telling me it's the early 70s. But oh, it doesn't matter whether it was late 60s or early 70s overall. That's a long time ago. <laughs> At that point, you know, it was actually found that lactic acid was actually a source of fuel for the muscles, not a source of pain. And studies later on, if I remember correctly, they were done in the 80s, have shown that lactic acid only stays in the muscles for a very short period of time after exercise. And that just doesn't fit our theories on what the cause of delayed onset muscle soreness or muscle soreness in general is. If, if lactic acid is gone about an hour after you work out, how can that possibly be the cause of the soreness? So there you go, right away. Lactic acid has nothing to do with the soreness and it doesn't stay in the muscles very long. So why are we talking about massage therapy in relation to it? So that leads me to my next topic. Does massage actually help after a workout? So you see massage therapists working after races or athletic events, so it's gotta be helpful, right? <laughs> well, uh, sorry, I'm gonna put another nail in the coffin of this myth because massage therapy has actually been shown to delay recovery after a workout or race or athletic competition. Yep, you heard that right, it delays it. <laughs> so massage might feel nice after a run or your athletic activity, but it's not actually helping your body to do anything physiologically. It's not helping process lactic acid because we know that doesn't stay in the muscles. It's not helping anything really other than kind of feeling nice. Um, but it might make you feel actually more sore the next day or the day after. So to my RMT friends and colleagues and my fellow athletes, you amateur and your professional people, let's let this myth die. <laughs> If you want to read more about this one, go back to Pain Science, again, painscience.com, and search for lactic acid. You're going to find tons of information um, in a really easy to digest, readable way. So let's drop that topic and head on down to the next one, which is massage therapy and drinking water. So have you ever had an RMT tell you this? Or have you been the RMT to tell your clients or your patients, if you like that term better, doesn't matter to me, that they need to drink lots of water after their massage? And did you tell them it because they need to flush out the toxins? Or was it just something that someone told you along the way and you've been repeating it because it sounds good or someone told you that it was true that you need to drink lots of water after a massage? So we're gonna keep this one fairly brief. Massage therapy does not flush toxins from the body. It does not cause toxins to be released from the tissues or anything of that sort. Now. This whole idea of toxins is actually kind of a fuzzy thing, and the definitions seem to vary from professional to professional. There are obvious toxins, I think things that we can all agree are toxins, like venom from a snake bite or the chemicals used in a chemotherapy treatment. Yeah, those are toxins, but there's the various toxins we talk about being in our environment due to the lives we lead or the cars we drive or the artificial flavor and color and preservatives we put into our food and other such things. Now. I'm not here to argue what a toxin is and is not, because that's not the point of this podcast. You know, we, we all know I'm not a science researcher, but what I can tell you is this. 
The point I'm making is that massage has nothing to do with toxins in the body of any sort, no matter what your definition of toxin is. And therefore, there is no reason to advise your clients to drink lots of water after a massage because it isn't flushing the toxins out of the body. And actually, generally speaking, drinking water doesn't have any effect on that anyhow. Your liver and your kidneys are what do most of that flushing toxins from the body work, and it doesn't matter if you drink an extra few glasses of water, the process is going to be exactly the same. Your blood volume, which is what is bringing the toxins to your liver and your kidneys, um, isn't going to be changed substantially by drinking a bunch of water. So it doesn't, you could drink gallons of water, and I don't recommend you do that because that would not be very healthy, but you could drink gallons of water and it's not going to flush the toxins out of your body. So yeah, you know, you as the massage therapist might want to drink lots of water after giving a massage because you're working hard, but please don't pass that same advice along to your client, you know, unless they're thirsty, in which case, sure, it's totally fine. Offer them some water. That's really nice of you. But don't associate getting a massage with needing to drink lots of water because the two literally have no relationship whatsoever. So let's talk about another topic that is commonly talked about. And actually, when I asked my Facebook friends, you know, what's your favorite massage therapy myth? The first person who responded, responded about this topic, and that is massage therapy and cancer. So it's another myth that's been around a really long time, and you can find lots of misinformation about it online. So the idea that you see published and the idea that seems to be still prevalent within the within the medical community, even even some doctors believe this, um, is that you should never massage somebody with cancer as you could cause the cancer to spread. Now, this myth came about because we're all scared of cancer, frankly. You know, I can't say I blame people for being scared. Cancer is scary, you know, but this myth is also caused by two things. So one, we know cancer can spread into the lymph nodes and even into the blood. And two, we know massage therapy increases lymph and blood flow. Or do we? Actually, the truth here is massage therapy only increases circulation a little bit. Quite a few studies have been done on this. And unfortunately, massage therapists, if you've been telling people that one of the primary things that massage does is increase circulation, it doesn't really Actually, going for a nice brisk walk increases circulation way more than massage does. So, you know, it just doesn't, massage just doesn't increase circulation to the degree that we all like to think it does, or we've all been taught it does. Um, so that aside, you know, what about lymphatic flow? Well, yeah, you know, it's been shown that lymph specific lymphatic techniques, so for instance, the Vodder technique, for those of you who've been trained in that, do have an effect on the flow of lymph in the body. That's true. However, there is zero evidence that the movement of lymph in these treatments or in any other kind of treatment causes cancer cells that might be in the lymphatic system to spread. So no, you, can, you can't spread cancer by giving any kind of massage treatment. If cancer were quickly spreading due to increased lymphatic or blood flow, well, cancer patients would just be immediately put on total bed rest since just walking or doing activities of daily living increase blood and lymph flow. But they aren't put on total bed rest because that's just not how cancer spreads and that would be ridiculous. So, of course, as professionals, you know, you do need to assess your clients who are being treated for cancer. Obviously, there might be areas you need to avoid based on their current condition and the treatments they're getting from their doctors or their oncology team or whoever, you know. But 
Generally speaking, please don't avoid massaging someone just because they are a cancer patient. Oh my gosh. Massage can actually help them a whole lot with dealing with everything that they're going through. Whether it's to help them reduce swelling um, because they're, they're a breast cancer patient and they've got, you know, extra swelling in the area, or you're just giving them a comforting treatment because they could use some human touch that doesn't involve poking and prodding and chemotherapy and radiation, you know? You can do a lot for somebody who's going through cancer treatment. You can be that person in their week that they are so happy to see. So if you're afraid of treating people with cancer, I suggest you go and do some research and read about it because it is an area of massage therapy that I think maybe more massage therapists need to think of, you know, focusing on. And all right, let's talk about the last topic. And this one's probably the most prevalent one of all, and they're all pretty prevalent. I, I, I picked all of these sort of the big ones for this one, but uh, let's talk about massage and deep tissue. So hands up everyone, who's heard that massage needs to be deep to be effective? Or that the only way you're gonna be able to release really tight muscles is by doing really deep work? Now, if you got your hands up, I obviously can't see you, but I bet a lot of you do have your hands up. And, you know, this is a myth that's been perpetuated by both the general public and by health professionals. I know there are doctors out there and chiropractors and many others who, including massage therapists, who refer patients for massage therapy saying that, you know, the person needs deep tissue massage. They'll actually write that right on, you know, the, the requisition or on the, um, on the referral note. Um, but like, okay, let's back the truck up a little bit and, and talk about this. So what is deep tissue massage anyway? Like, what is that? Um, it actually doesn't have a specific definition or an indication. If you search the CMTO's website, you're not going to find anything about it. There's no definition or, you know, um, it's not in your standards of practice as one of the techniques you need to learn deep tissue massage. It just, it just doesn't exist in that way. But it is a common term you use, you see RMTs and, uh, uh, and other people using, referring to sports massage um, or athletic massage. That's, that's where it's most commonly used, but it is used in other ways. You know, and honestly, I don't have a problem with that. It gives the therapist and the client common language. They know it's going to be a deeper type of treatment and you know it's going to be a deeper type of treatment. There, so there's nothing wrong with advertising per se that you do deep tissue massage. I've talked about that in previous podcasts. And it's also often associated with getting rid of knots and muscles, and it's often considered sort of the opposite of light massage or spa massage. Now, those are in finger quotes, guys, and you're going to see why in a moment. You know, this we're, we're now talking about something a little bit different than simply having a common language with your clients. So here's the thing. Is deep tissue massage more effective? Or if you're an athlete, do you absolutely need to get deep tissue massage, even if you don't like it? You know, do you need to get it for it to be effective? No. 100% the answer there is no. In order for a massage to be effective, the therapist needs to look at a few different things. And here's sort of the, the major ones. So number one is where the person is experiencing their pain and discomfort. Number two is what structures are causing that? Is it the muscles, the joints, the ligaments? What is it? So they need to assess to find that out. What other conditions the person might have that's contributing? Does the person have arthritis? Do they have fibromyalgia? Do they, fibromyalgia, oh my gosh, I just, mispronounce that. Um, do they have other injuries? Is something else going on in their body? And of course, the person's general preference and comfort levels with pressure and depth. That one's a big one. 
you know, even if you feel like the person needs to be treated at a deeper level and they're not comfortable with it, it doesn't matter how much you think they need to be treated at a deeper level. You shouldn't be because they're not comfortable with it. End of story. You know, not unless you negotiate it with them and, you know, you, you talk them through it and they're, they're okay with it. But you, didn't, you shouldn't just jump right in because you say that that's what they need. So... Anyway, so after you assess them and you you look at what's going on in their body and where the pain is and all that stuff I just said, if the problems are found to be in the more superficial tissues, the massage treatment doesn't need to be deep. The pressure doesn't need to be hard. You can extremely effectively treat tissues with lighter techniques. And in fact, the person would be better off if you did. Studies have actually shown that aggressive treatments can actually cause someone more pain, not less, especially if you're just treating, treating deeply, simply because that's what society has said and the client has asked for or the doctor's note you received said that that's what they needed. And it wasn't based on your actual assessment findings. You know, and you are assessing your clients for these things, right? So it's your job to educate your clients on what's going on in their body and let them know why so-called deep tissue massage is or is not indicated for their specific condition and for their specific um, reasons for seeking massage. But of course, if the problems are in deeper muscles, then yeah, you might want to be working at a deeper level. That's totally okay too, obviously. You know, I'm not going to tell you you can never work deeply on people. That would be ridiculous. You know, if it is in deeper tissues, yeah. But no matter where the issues are found, there are a variety of techniques that can be used to treat something. You don't have to just pound on people because it's, you know, so-called sports massage. Even deeper tissues can be treated with more gentle techniques. You don't have to get in there with your elbow and all your body weight just to be effective. So, of course, it, like what I'm saying here is it's all based on individual needs. It's not a treatment massage versus spa massage or effective massage versus relaxation massage. You know, like that's that's ridiculous. And actually, that whole, you know, relaxation is not effective is, is a big problem. And I think maybe we should cover that in another podcast episode. But yeah, this whole deep tissue massage is the only effective type of massage is yet another myth we really, really do need to let die for the sake of the profession, for the sake of people's hands. There's a heck of a lot of massage therapists out there who are treating super deeply simply because their clients are demanding it and not because it's actually necessary. And we just need to move on from that. We need to do effective treatments. Or, sorry, I still think of myself as a massage therapist, even though I'm retired from the profession. So you guys need to, you wonderful, awesome massage therapists out there, need to do effective treatments, not deep treatments. You only do deep treatments when you need to do deep treatments. All right, all right, let's wrap this up. We're at like, what, 26, 27 minutes now. So, you know, I want to thank my RMT friends for contributing topics to this. You guys were great. It was a really awesome conversation we had over the weekend. Um, if you listeners out there have a favorite myth you'd like me to talk about on a future episode, just pop me an email. I'm at candice at nixie.ca. All right, have an awesome week and happy researching about massage therapy myths. Hey, you guys, thanks so much for listening. I really am grateful to have all you guys here with me. If you do like this podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you gave me a rating and review over on iTunes, as they always say, right? But I also do appreciate your feedback. So if you want to get in touch, you can always pop me an email at candice at nixie.ca. I do read and respond to all of my emails, I promise. Have yourself an awesome rest of your day and I'll see you back here next week.